Today's reading is 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church, so good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Our regular teaching pastor is Pastor Frank. He's uh, got a couple years on me, but uh, he's not just an experience, but you know, you know what I mean. Uh, he's actually at a camp in Iowa, so please be praying for him. And uh, I'm happy to take a look at God's word with you all this morning. We're in the book of First John, so if you haven't been with us through this series, we want you to know we're in the book of First John. And it's an incredible book. And maybe if you're new to the faith and you're holding a Bible, first of all, if you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back that you're welcome to take. We'd love for you to have one of those. But say you're trying to figure it out and you don't know exactly where it is, just go to the very back and flip back a little bit and you'll find First John. But we're in week 9 of 13 in just looking at five chapters because they're so dense and rich and full of great things for us to study. So far in the series, we've hit themes of assurance of salvation for believers, the advocacy of Christ on our behalf in our sin. We've talked about new commandments, which, as John says in his funny way, they're new, but they're not new, and they're also new, if, if you were there on that week when we looked at that. We've looked at the antichrists and sin and more. And John says in his own words that the whole point of this letter, we've said this just about every week, you can find that in chapter 5, verse 13. Here's the whole point, that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a reminder for those of us who already believe to hold fast, to cling to what you know. And it's a word desperately needed for our church today. Hold fast to what you know, church, to what you've been taught. Keep the main thing the main thing, as one of our founding pastors, Tom Trader, would say. The word of God, John wants you to know, is still good. It's still true. It's still worth building your life on. And so we're going to do that today just like we do every week here. We're going to dig into God's word together and see what he has for us. Would you pray with me to start? God, in this moment, as we look at your holy word, would you speak to us? Would you change us, Lord? Would you show us the beauty of your word? And as I've gotten the privilege this week of studying it more deeply than I ever have before, I think I found some really beautiful truths. And so, Lord, would you help me to communicate those to your people this morning? And anything that's not from you, Lord, let it be forgotten. But we pray that you'd be glorified as we study your word because your word is, is amazing. It's amazing. So, Lord, help me to communicate that and help us, your people, to receive your word. God, to, to look at things in our life that are not in alignment with you and bring them into alignment. Holy Spirit, would you change us, make us more like you, Lord? That's our heart. That's our prayer. And we ask that in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start by reading again 
verses 19 through 21. Read along with me. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So first, just notice every time there's a beloved, don't skip over that. Remember and receive what he's doing there, which is he's reminding you, Christian, of your identity. You are the loved one. That's who you are. He's saying in this first section, you can be confident. That's possible. This first section is all about confidence. And John is doing that same work of amplification, which is his cyclical way of reinforcing his ideas over and over again. And each time he's adding something new. So if you've been here in this series, you know we've talked some already about confidence. But he's saying something new here. We can be confident before God inwardly. Here's how, verse 19. We do it by reassuring our heart before God. That word reassure has an active connotation to persuade, to convince our heart, to urge our heart on towards confidence in God. We persuade our hearts that we are of the truth, that we're walking rightly before God as best we can. By the way, this is the only time that John personifies truth in this way that we are of the truth, the people of truth. We want to be confident that we are of the truth, which can be tricky to know right? So according to this, you can be truly saved, but not feel very confident about it. There's one side of it. Or you can be really confident, but not truly saved. That's kind of important that we know that. It's like what we think we know versus what God truly knows. Now, what's being talked about here is eternal security. Are you truly saved? and assurance. How can you know that you're truly saved? Now, John is dealing more with that assurance when he speaks about confidence here. And he's already addressed the the, the salvation element, the test of that earlier in the passage. You can go back and listen or go back and read. And so he's saying, how can we Christians get this kind of confidence before God? And what does he say? Look Look at the end of verse 21 in particular, but it's through 20 and 21. He says it there, let's see, at the end of 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Isn't that like he's saying, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. If it doesn't condemn you, have confidence. Listen to your heart. Now, when I'm reading that, I'm going, wait, 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 what? So Disney's right. So Disney's got it right all along, and we've just missed it. Disney's got it right. Well, yes, partially. But to get the bigger sense of what's happening here, we have to dig into that word heart. And maybe you know some of this already, but that word heart, originally in the Greek, remember the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and in the Greek, that word, translated heart, is cardia. And it's much bigger of a picture than just the organ, the heart. It's referring to that center of you, that that center where your conscience sits, your gut, your gut feeling, that impulse, where affection and desire come from, out of the center of you, your gut. So this text is saying we should pay attention to what that inner gut is saying to us as a test of whether or not the truth is in us. That that feels surprising to me as I was studying it. 
Because how does that gel with what we so often teach here, which the Bible teaches, Jeremiah 17, 9, for example. Your heart, your gut, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? How does that gel with what John's saying here? What about Mark 7, 21, Jesus's words? Out of the heart, out of your heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. He's not done yet. Deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. So then how is the heart a thing we should regard? How should we listen to our heart? Remember, John is speaking to who he assumes is a small church of Christians. That's the key here. A small group of Christians. And one of the things that the Spirit does in you and did in me at the moment of our salvation is give us a new heart. A new heart. Transfers in a heart of truth, removing the heart of deceit. A new heart of love, removing the heart of murderous thoughts and deception. Transfers a heart of obedience, removing the heart of pride. That's what the Spirit does in that moment of salvation. And so John is saying a Christian need only search this new heart to find assurance, to gain confidence before God. We must learn to listen to those desires and thoughts in our gut, Christian, as the Spirit moves in us. Now, as to discerning which thought, which spirit is from God, which one is not, how do you know the nuance of how to listen to that exactly? Well, that's exactly what John gets into next week that we'll look at in chapter four, how to test the spirits, how to know what you're hearing is right or wrong. So you'll have to come back and hear that. Now, to any non-Christians here or any non-Christians you interact with, Jeremiah 17 and Mark 7 describe your heart. Without Christ, that is your heart, full of deceit, desperately sick. Who can know your heart? And the answer, of course, is God. God can know your heart. The Spirit searches and can know your heart. And if that's you and you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, and this is all a mystery to you, I would say, don't you want this new heart, this transference of a removal of the heart of deceit and sin and into something that wants to obey God and his word and is true? And to you, I would say, if that's you, come to Jesus. It can be that simple. Today, you can come to Jesus. Maybe you've already accepted Christ, but you've wandered away a little too far again. Come back. The call is the same to the unbeliever and to the believer. Come back again to Christ. Let him do his work in you again, even if it's for the first time. And do it today. Be free today. Offload that heart. You can change. Just come and don't hide your heart anymore. Come to the God, like it says in the verses here, who's greater than your heart. Isn't that amazing? I love that language in there. Greater than your heart. He knows everything. Think about that. Even a renewed heart in a Christian has moments of doubt, right? Don't you? The sting of death is removed, but the tendency, the temptation towards sin is still there. Sometimes it makes us wonder, is this spirit really there working? Did I ever really get that new heart if, if these are still some desires that I have? 
But John wants you to remember that God is greater than your heart. So think about that. There's nothing you've ever done or thought that he doesn't know all about. Consider that. You know your heart pretty well, right? Probably better than most. He sees the effects of my sin that I'll never see, and yet he calls me son. He calls you son and daughter, his children. And as we do the work of killing the sin in us, that new heart takes up its residence more and more. That's sanctification, right? We become more like God over time, slowly by killing our sin. And as we do that, we look ahead. Our hearts long for the day when that transformation will be complete, and it will one day, Christian. That old heart of sin will be once and for all gone. Praise God for that. And the Christian in here says, come, Lord Jesus. We're ready. And so the first thing John has for us is to pay attention to that redeemed heart within you. Learn to listen to its voice. And if it condemns you, speaks a word of guilt over a particular sin, be quick to confess it so you can regain that sense of confidence. What a great reminder for us to start with from John. And verse 22 continues, in light of the confidence we have before God, let's read verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Look at that again. Is that saying what I think it's saying? Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This feels like something worth diving into more deeply because you might be here and, and you might think that this is a, some kind of secret formula, right? I knew this Christian thing would pay off eventually. Okay, so here's the formula. Ready? Write this down. Keep God's commandments. Do what pleases him. Okay, I can keep his commandments. Okay, yeah. I could keep God's commandments. Okay, so don't kill. Okay, I won't kill. Uh, whatever the other ones are, I'll figure that out. And do what pleases him. Well, pleasing him is subjective anyway. I'll do what I think pleases him. Okay, check, check. And then number three, get stuff. Get stuff. Name it and claim it. Fire away. Get that personal jet right? Complete that vision board. Isn't that what the verse is saying? And seriously, though, we need a good grasp of what this verse means. And of course, on face value, I can see the qualifiers there. Keep his commandments, do what pleases him. There's a lot there. But think about it more deeply, though, church. If we do what's pleasing to God, keeping his commandments, we will receive whatever we ask. That's what it says. So, if we don't receive whatever we ask for, then that must mean what? We're not keeping his commandments. We're not doing what's pleasing to him. You start to see some of the problems we run into. Now, if we do a quick dive on other texts that teach this same thing, we can easily find verses like these. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, this is Jesus' words, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Later in this book, 1 John 5, 14, we know God hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we will have the requests we ask of him. Luke 11 describes a father who loves to give to those who ask. James 4 says, you don't have because you don't ask, and you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly, because you want to spend it on your passions. Now let's zoom in on these last two, Matthew 7. 7 through 11 says this. It's up on the screen as well. Ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Or Mark eleven twenty two. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, these are Jesus' words, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Okay, so the secret, abide in Christ, keep his commandments, do what's pleasing, and when you do those things, your prayers will be answered because your prayers will be in line with the will of God. Maybe you've heard that. Here's the challenge, though. Here's the challenge. When our prayers aren't answered with a yes, when we don't get what we ask for, where does our mind tend to go based on these verses? Well, I must not be a child of God then, right? If God's a good father that would love to give me what I want, that's what those verses say, then I must not be one of his children, right? Maybe I'm not abiding enough. I just need to abide more, and then, then I'll get it. So if I pray for the mountain to be moved and it doesn't move, by the way, how many people over time have tested God on Camelback Mountain? God, move that mountain and it's, it's still there. Okay, so I pray the mountain doesn't move. That's what the verse said, right? The, the mountain doesn't move. What did I do wrong though? Okay, God, give me more faith then. By the way, that's a great prayer. You should pray, God, give me more faith. So I pray, God, faith is a gift. Give me more prayer. And I, I have more faith. And I pray again to the mountain, move. And it stays put. Okay, God, no, no, more though, more this time. More faith this time. And I pray again and so on and so forth. You can see where that's heading. So let's personalize it more. That marriage that you prayed for, that you cried over, that you begged God to bring healing to, you begged God for reconciliation, ended in divorce anyway. These are real situations. The issue here matters because what we think when we pray like that matters, and we need to understand this rightly. There was a family who used to come here years ago that had a little girl with cancer. Many of you were around for that that time, and we prayed. As a church, we prayed our faces off for that little girl, but she didn't get healed. She passed away. Was our faith the reason? Did we not? Did we doubt Did we not have enough faith? Is this God thing even real? How could that be God's will? Aren't we praying God's will? Did you know, church, that Jesus had a prayer unanswered by God? Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, Jesus goes and prays three times by himself, asking God, is there any other way than the cross? Let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? And he's interrupted on the third time. And we don't have any audible or recorded answer from God, except, of course, what takes place afterwards, in which you could say was a clear no to Jesus. Let this cup pass. And what preceded was that the cup did not pass. So there's his no. But I'm zooming in on the silence there. That's the part I'm zooming in on. What would have seemed like a non-answer. Why didn't God just say no? Simply to Jesus, no. 
So then did Jesus not have enough faith? Was God ignoring him? Was Jesus not abiding in himself enough? No. Was Jesus not pleasing to God somehow? No. So why the unanswered prayer? Why the silence? If Jesus was tested in all ways as we are, which scripture says, could God's silence in his prayers have been one of them? 2 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us of a prayer of his in which he asked God to remove a thing and God said no. So there's an answer. God said no. No, I'm not going to remove that thing. My grace is enough for you, Paul. Was there some issue with Paul's faith? Is that why the answer was no? If he had had more faith or believed or whatever more, would that have worked? Was there some unresolved or unrepentant issue in his heart? Or was there purpose to it that God saw and Paul didn't? In his prayer, Jesus gave us a clue to what was going on in his heart in the midst of his anguish in the garden, teaching us even there how to pray how to ask for that mountain to be moved, how to pray for that child to be healed, that marriage to be restored. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, God. That's so important. So here's what I have after studying these passages and thinking deeply. Praying to God in the way that 1 John 3, 22 describes requires obedience, and faith. Praying in this way, asking God for big things requires praying in obedience and faith. Look at the verse again. Uh, Verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because there's a condition, because we keep his commandments, there's obedience, and do what pleases him, faith, and we'll talk about that. So keep his commandments. Obedience in that moral purity is good and should be pursued by us. We should repent when we're faced with sin, and that matters to God, and our prayers are hindered without our attempts in pursuit of holiness. God cares about the purity of his church. He cares what you do outside of these gatherings. James 5 says it's the prayers of a righteous person that accomplishes much. And if you don't take your own repentance seriously, if you don't take Jesus seriously, then your faith is dead and your prayers are hindered. So we keep his commandments. We we are obedient. Praying to God requires obedience and faith. But if you look at verse 22, it says to do what pleases him, not faith, right? So how is pleasing God connected to faith? Well, the Bible interprets itself, right? So Hebrews 11, 6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can't do it without faith. God is pleased by our faith in him. And faith is key to all this. Now, by faith, I mean the biblical understanding, the kind of rooted on the ground kind of faith, anchored in reality, not this kind of ethereal, disconnected, I just got to have faith. You know, I just got to have faith. That's right. No, this is a, a, not just faith in that sense, but a trust. This would be a much better understanding for us when the Bible uses the word faith. It's faith in something. Faith in the promises of God or in God himself. That's a lot like trust. Faith that Jesus is telling the truth when he says, I cause all things 
to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. We have to trust and believe that God's not lying when he says that. Whatever it is, it works out for good, whatever he defines that as. So when the Christian prays big things, when the Christian prays that the mountain would be moved, we do it boldly, brashly even. We pray confidently, but we pray trusting, right? That's the key. And so if reading verses like these teaches us one thing, it's go for it in your prayers. But submit yourself to the will of God in whatever the answer is. Whether it's yes or no or silence or wait or whatever, trust. So pray big, but pray surrendered. Pray big prayers, but pray surrendered prayers. Pray knowing that you have a good father. Yes, who loves to give us good things. Yes, who will give us what we ask for in faith. Yes, in prayer. Yes, if it's his will, right? If the mountain doesn't move, the Christian's response can't be, well, God must not love me then. I didn't have enough faith. I didn't believe it deeply enough. No, it's that the will of God is that that mountain stays right where it is. And we don't lose heart. We press into trust. And the answer may be yes, so pray big. Miracles still happen today. Go for it. God is powerful. Remember to submit it to the will of God. Now, submitting that to the will of God is hard. That's hard because we're not God. We're not God. It takes a lot of trust, which is why I use that word surrendered prayers. You pray big but surrender to the will of God. When we pray like this, the challenge becomes, do we really trust the goodness of the will of God in whatever it is that I'm praying for? That becomes the challenge. Because God's sovereignty over the world means that he either causes or allows all things to happen. And anything other than that is not an all-powerful God. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. I know how hard that is. I've walked with many of you through the challenge of trusting in those moments. Praying like Jesus, nevertheless, God, not my will but yours be done. That's incredibly hard. Think about the trust that Jesus showed in that moment. It's amazing. And so, Christian, listen to the heart within you. Gain confidence before God and then ask away. Pray big, but pray surrender to the will of God in obedience and faith. Let's read our last section here, but let's reread 22 because it flows right into 23. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Believe and love, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. What a beautiful, beautiful section. Notice the interplay first between uh, the singular and plural use of that word commandment. If you look at verse 22, because we keep his commandments, more than one, And then verse 23, and this is his commandment, singular all of a sudden. But then he goes to name two things. This is commandment, singular, but believe in Jesus and love one another, just as he commanded us. And then verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments, back to plural again. 
abides in God and God in him. It, it feels a lot like the same interplay that Jesus used when he was asked in Matthew 22, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Singular. What's the, what's the one thing, Jesus? What is it? And he says, Matthew 22 and verse 37, he said to him, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Remember that biblical definition of the heart, that inner seat of thinking? This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophet. He didn't give them what they were looking for. He's like, here's the one commandment. It's a two-parter. I think this is a clear hyperlink between 1 John 3 and Matthew 22. There's one commandment for you and I to obey today in 1 John, but it's a, it's a twofer. We love God with everything, and we, we love people like Jesus did. But if you look again at verse 23, it says, believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. It doesn't say love the Lord, does it? It says believe. So that Greek word, they're translated believe. You're never going to guess. It also means it can be translated trust, faith, belief. Trust in the name of the Lord. Have faith in Christ. Trusting in God in the way that Matthew describes takes all of your love. Trusting from that operating seat of your inner thoughts, your heart. God's commandment is to give him your heart. Trust in him and then love one another. It's one commandment in two parts. Trust in the name of Jesus and love others like he says in your word. That's the commandment from 1 John for us today. A last word of encouragement to you Christians here. A large part of this text, and in 1 John generally, is concerned with your keeping of the commandments of God following them with all your heart. And last week, or no, yes, we learned this week how to pray those big surrendered prayers to God with obedience and faith. But all of this commandment language might feel kind of heavy and might feel kind of burdensome to you even. I just want to acknowledge that because keeping the, keeping the commandments of God, doing what pleases him, loving people like Jesus did, that's easier said than done, Right? That's easier said than done. So God loves to give good gifts to his children, right? We covered that. One of his good gifts is his spirit in us. We talked about that. Working in us, through us, helping us grow. And verse 24, if you look, mentions that very same thing. It says, we know God abides in us by the spirit whom he has, what? Given. Given us. The spirit is a gift. And that word gift is didymi in the Greek. It's there again one more time in the Greek. It doesn't show up in English, but that word give is in the Greek one more time. It's at the end of verse 23, if you look at that. Now, the reason you don't see it in English is because it makes kind of a choppy sentence. It's not the prettiest to say, but it's there in the Greek. It's right at the end of verse 23. It's right after the commandment Jesus gave. So literally, it would be, just as the commandment given to us. So the commandment, like the Spirit, is a gift. Both of them are a gift. Both are given. The commandment's given to us, and the Spirit is given to us. Here's the point. 
The same God that gives you the commandment to follow gives you the spirit to help you follow it. The same God that gives you the commandment to follow gives you the spirit to help you follow it. I think that's encouraging to know. The person of the spirit abides in the renewed heart in you, Christian, urging you on towards deeper faith, deeper trust. Listen to that voice. You accomplish the commandments of God to love him, to love others by abiding in him. And the spirit in the heart of you testifies to that. Learn to listen to that. Learn from him and learn from God's word and seek to obey it. Would you pray with me? We thank you for this, this sweet reminder, Lord. I pray for those here or those listening online or those who watch this weeks after this goes out. Lord, would you help us to pray big things in faith? And maybe there's something that we didn't dare to pray because it just feels presumptuous or greedy or something. Help us to imagine ourselves like, like you do, God, as, as your children. What child doesn't love coming up to the father or mother that loves them and say, can I have this? Can I have that? God, forgive us for doubting that you're powerful enough to answer that prayer. And God, when we pray, help us to pray bold and big but surrendered prayers. Help us, Holy Spirit, to trust you when we pray that whatever the outcome is, you are gonna work it out for good, as crazy as that is to say and believe sometimes. Lord, help us to pray like that. And Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us with the heavy, heavy burden of keeping your commandments you don't leave us alone in that. We should be faithful. Yes, we should repent of our sin. Yes, but you don't leave us to that. You give us your spirit. Lord, help us to abide in you. Help us to hear your voice in us. Help us to obey. And Lord, maybe there's some here who have never put their faith in you, never proclaimed, yes, this Jesus guy is real. He came in the flesh. He died for real. He was raised up to new life. He's now in heaven, ruling as king, exercising his will in the world. And if we've never believed that or, or proclaimed that or confessed that, maybe now's the time to do that, to come forward in faith, in trusting that you will transfer this heart of sin and replace it with a, a soft heart, a new heart that loves you and wants to obey you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.